Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Pause Reviews Podcast. The podcast where, at least for now, we pick random movies from the streaming interwebs and uh, comb through all the nonsense to find something awesome for you to watch tonight. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty cohort and co-host, co-host, Tim? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you got um, a little bit of time to continue to give us, you know, random stuff to watch before we take no more requests and just do things on a predetermined list. (laughs) Well, we, I mean, we would still do requests for like the live shows and stuff. No. Yeah, yeah. No. Take it. Wait, no. Oh, <laughs> all right. Apparent. Apparently, that's Tim's true. in charge now. I, for, I forgot about that part, <laughs> and that's why you're the co-host. That's true. That's true. Stay, stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just wait. I feel like in this episode, you're gonna unmuzzle me, and it's gonna be hard to shut me back up. <laughs> oh, that is true. I know this is like this is like when we do Joker episodes or or Batman episodes for me. This will be yep. this is your time to shine, Tim. Yep, yep. I know some things, people. I know some things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as Tim is alluding to, uh, this week we are talking about 2011's Moneyball. Uh, starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and Philip Seymour Hoffman, a few other folks. Um, And this one follows what is touted as the true story of the Oakland A's, the Oakland Athletics, uh, what is it, their 2002 season? Yeah, so we, we, the top of this movie starts with the 2001 season, um, but then the bulk of the movie is going to follow the entirety of the offseason preceding and then the season of 2002. Right. So first things first, we want to make sure that we're focusing on the movie. Is yes. this a good movie? Um, but it's going to be really hard to not fall down some rabbit holes when we get mm-hmm. into the fact versus fiction. And where is this all coming from? Because, uh, you know, obviously uh, discussions can be had about how accurate the depiction is. Sure. But these are this movie is a movie based on actual events, yeah. uh, and so there is truth behind it. Yeah, it's really kind of fascinating. As I watched this movie, I found it impossible not to have my phone in hand, constantly googling stats and like this. I lived these years. Like I understand baseball at this point. I've seen a lot of baseball at this point. Again, been watching since '96. I'm very familiar with these Oakland teams because the Yankees faced them in the playoffs for a couple of years. And that's, you know, Mm. that's what happens. I can tell you, you know, in the nineties, it was the Rangers and Boston and Cleveland. And then in the two thousands, it was always the angels or the, um, the athletics or, you know, Seattle too, a lot. So like, I remember these teams and, and the, the way this movie opens is highlights uh, or if you're, you know, from the athletic side, low lights of again the 2001 um, American League Division Series between the Yankees and the Athletics, where the A's took a, a two nothing lead in the best of five series, and the Yankees came back to win three straight to eliminate them, um, partially because Derek Jeter made what his signature career play in the playoffs called the flip play. Look it up if you if you've never seen it. It's a crazy play for a shortstop. Um, and actually tags out Jeremy Giambi uh, at home plate to keep a one nothing lead, and he factors 
big into the story of Moneyball. So I'm intimately familiar with this. So again, it was really hard to just sit and watch this movie. I was constantly looking up stats. I was like, oh yeah, you know, putting those pieces together. So I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of it for sure. And I'm going to come back to that with you in just a minute, because for me, I could care less about baseball. You know, yep. I'll watch it casually with people if someone has it on. I can have a relatively intelligent conversation about it just because I try to follow all sports a little bit. But sure. for me, you know, I think I can lean heavy on the film itself, right? Yeah. So when we're yeah. talking about it, uh, we'll probably split here a little bit into two camps of accuracy for you versus sure. just straight watchability for me. Um, so hopefully we'll touch on a little bit for everything for everyone. And, uh, you know, without alienating folks who, uh, didn't come here to listen to a statistical (laughs) breakdown about the 2002 Oakland athletics and how they factored into baseball on the whole. (laughs) So, uh, let's dive in as we always do again. Like I said, Moneyball from 2011, where can you watch it? Amazon Prime Video. It is available mm-hmm. to stream right now. Spoiler alert. So if you want to go watch it before hearing this episode, go do so right now because we're going to be breaking down some stuff and talking about some stuff that might spoil parts of the movie. Um, yeah. And by might, it totally will. So, yes. so if you hate spoilers and you know you want to see this, uh, go check it out and then come back here. Otherwise, uh, you're welcome. To stay tuned, because more is coming, literally right now. Moneyball is rated PG-13 and did really well with critics and audiences alike. On Rotten Tomatoes, a 94% from critics and 86% from audiences. Uh, Runtime just over two hours, two hours, 13 minutes. Budget, let's talk about that first, because I feel like normally we talk director and that kind of jazz, but there's a lot of little interesting tidbits that happen in development and pre-production of this movie yeah for sure so budget wise again a successful movie it was a 50 million dollar budget somewhere between 50 and 58 million at the end of the day um but the worldwide gross for this was 110 million dollars which i mean if you really think about it so by our standard pretty pretty good right you double the budget you at least break even um so you know this movie at least made its money back maybe turned a little bit of a profit but Mm -hmm. for such a niche topic right you know uh, a team that at the time maybe not a lot of people are that familiar with anymore uh a concept with sabermetrics that like you know it's it's like the attack of the clones of a movie right where it's like it's a sports movie but it's also just really heavy on data analytics and yeah and you're just kind of like for for it to draw that kind of a crowd is pretty impressive i mean and i don't think that the public at large has picked up and read the book right guaranteed not yeah i mean we don't read books i'm familiar with the existence of the book but (laughs) i thought you were gonna say i'm familiar with the existence of books (laughs) i am familiar with the existence of books but i've heard that there are places that sell them and even some that like rent them to you for like a period of time like you can go and bring it home for a little while and then you got to bring it back like it's fascinating what but i don't think that the average person walks into one of those places and says "Ooh." I'm curious about baseball. Let me read this. Which no, no. Is, I'm curious about baseball, but really, I'm curious about deep data analytics yeah. 
and right. uh, you know algorithms that right. power uh, kind of a, a, a malign subsection of baseball. Right. And right. not even, you know, not even necessarily like you're going to pick this up and you're going to read about star players, right? Like this isn't the ABCs of baseball where you're going to read about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio. This is, hey, let's read about people who are undervalued by everyone else in the league and why we think that this is the way to run a poverty franchise. Oh, and in the context of a team that wins nothing. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so this is really a book about how to do nothing with nothing and still accomplish nothing, but act like you're competitive. <laughs> this is a book about how everything you know about baseball is about to change, except for everything you know about baseball. Right. <laughs> which will stay exactly the same. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So, uh, you know, but as a movie, uh, yeah, successful, given this, right? Like, this is, how do you... How do you make something like this interesting, right? Where right. where Star Wars could not make intergalactic trade negotiations interesting, <laughs> somehow Moneyball makes this watchable. Right. Um, okay, directed by so in the end, directed by Bennett Miller, who you may know from uh, Capote. He directed Capote, and also after this movie, did Foxcatcher. Uh, Capote came first. Um, Writers. This went through a lot of writers. So originally, when this when the book was optioned by Sony, they brought Stan Shervin on board to write this. This would have been his first, uh, his first feature, and is right. He still retains a writing credit uh, or a story by credit, I think. And uh, uh, after this, he made Space Warriors, <laughs> and and that's all. Um, so it's, it's with, you know, so Chervin writes it, it kind of goes through a process, eh, things aren't really going well, they sort of clean house, and they bring in, uh, Steven Soderbergh to, uh, direct, right, and to work on the script, and when Soderbergh comes on, he really wants to make a, uh, like a movie, kind of in line of what's that? What is it? Act of Valor or something like that? You remember there was a there was a, a moment in time where they were making lots of like military movies with actual military personnel and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, this mm-hmm. was going to be kind of the same thing with baseball. He wanted you know the real guys to play themselves in the movie. Like Art Howe was going to play the himself as the as the manager of the team. Interesting. And, right. So he really had this vision to to do that. Now, Sony in the end doesn't dig it and they decide to pull the plug completely saying that it's now just too artsy. It's it's just too out there and it's not going to have the mainstream pull that people are hoping for. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's fairly interesting. I mean, I I think about, you know, we're talking again about 2002 and a good section of these players were at the tail ends of their career. I mean, David Justice, he's 55 now and we're talking 10 years ago. So he would have been 45 playing, you know, like a 35 year old. Mm. He could have pulled it. Yeah, sure. Might've worked out, but a little weird. Yeah. Well, but if the scale slides equally for everyone, you know what I mean? So, but I think that, yeah, I mean, it that just wouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. There are moments in this movie, uh, for example, several of the scouts that you see in this movie 
uh, are real MLB scouts, and mm-hmm. and those moments you can you can pick them out of a lineup, right? Yeah, terrible yeah. acting, just stuff is a little too on the nose. Little comments that they make. There's a there's a line by one of the guys where he's just like, "We got," you know, they're in a room hashing out the lineup and and who they're gonna pick up and who they're gonna sign and uh, Brad right. Pitt as you know the GM Billy Bean is you know arguing for this sabermetrics approach and we'll get to more of this in a second but you know this one old man just just chimes up and is like guys we gotta remember this man is the man he answers only to ownership and god himself we make suggestions right and he does this whole little bit and it's terribly delivered and the whole time you're just sitting there kind of like all right, this is a real guy. And yeah. and and to imagine which for a moment is forgivable. But imagine an entire movie where every single person on camera is a is a non-professional like you wouldn't let a baseball scout come and like do your breaks, right? Right. Like why it, are we going to let them come and act? <laughs> I, that's going to, you know, it ends up like especially if you're going to still put them opposite like Brad Pitt who you know is a is a is a powerhouse in Hollywood, right? And you're gonna put a bunch of guys who don't act. And if you've ever seen a baseball team try and use their players in commercials, they're horrendous. <laughs> I mean, they Dude. are horrendous. So you're gonna put them in a feature film. You're gonna like knock this down to like you know rescue nine one one recreation. <laughs> like, I mean, and- make a documentary. Yeah. Like if yeah. that's what you want to do, make a documentary. Yep. Yep. So, uh anyways, 5 days before production is supposed to start off, Sony fires or pulls the plug rather. Just totally pulls the plug on the movie and puts it in and I've never heard this term, limited turnaround. So, hmm. turnaround on a film is normally uh a company goes in, a, a studio rather, goes in to make a movie something happens right something's going wrong people pull out stuff goes wrong budgets are skyrocketing whatever is happening is happening and they decide we are no longer going to make this movie they put the film in turnaround uh what this allows the studio to do is take a property they now own right the studio has bought and paid for the rights to this movie right but the they're spending money on it with the idea that when they release the movie, they're going to make that money and more back. That's the gamble, right? Studios will make somewhere between, you know, 10 and 15 films in a, in a year. Maybe two of them are major profitable. And yep. your hope is, is that those, you know, two to five that make you money uh, will fund all the losses that you take on the other, you know, seven to, to 12 and make you profit, right? Right. Hence, that's why, you know, the Marvel franchise is what it is. When you're making a billion dollars on a movie that costs you $200 million to make, then it can take, it can absorb a lot of the hits, which Disney doesn't really take a lot of hits. Right. But it can right. absorb the ones that they do take and still keep them in the black, right? Right. And so the, uh, so the idea with turnaround is, is they're, they're going to declare it a loss, so the studio is going to say, we own Moneyball, we're putting it in turnaround, they're going to actually claim it as a loss, and they're going to do it on their taxes. 
Mm-hmm. But because mm-hmm. of that, they can no longer make that movie because they've taken the tax benefit to get that money back, right? So, yeah. uh, so usually what happens is they now have the option to sell it off and give the rights to somebody else and shop okay. it around. Sure. Sony does this. But they still end up making the movie after studios like Universal and Paramount and Warner Brothers, I think, all pass on it. So I don't, uh, I, I don't know how this works. I don't know if the the addition of limited, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for that. So, um, but basically, Sony pulls the plugs and says, "We're gonna take this loss." Um, but it doesn't really intend when no one else wants it. They make Brad Pitt a producer. They uh, they kick Soderbergh to the curb. They bring in uh, uh, Bennett Miller. They also bring in the head of Sony brings in Aaron Sorkin to do the rewrites. So Aaron Sorkin comes in and does yeah. some minor rewrites. However, and he's he plays it off like they're minor. And and the truth is, when I found out this movie was written by Aaron Sorkin, I was like. Huh, but I enjoy it because it doesn't feel like Aaron Sorkin. Right. And the right. reason for that is that it was originally it had the screenplay had been written by uh when they got rid of Stan Ch- uh Chervin, they brought in Steven Zalian, who is a powerhouse of screenwriting. He wrote right. Awakening, Schindler's List, Clear and Present Danger, Mission Impossible, Hannibal, Gangs of New York, American Gangster, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Irishman, and so many others that you totally know. Right? Yeah. And so Sorkin comes in and he's like, look, the script is pretty great. You know, there's really not much I can do here. Yeah, right. So I'll clean it up a bit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it seems like some of those cleanups are a little bit more than he's leading on because yeah. there are characters in this movie who uh, who had lent their names, right? The right. main one being, so obviously Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, is the GM. Jonah Hill plays a character named Peter Brand. And yep. Peter Brand is the assistant GM of the mm-hmm. Oakland Athletics. But the real guy is, named, is a guy named Paul DePod. De Podesta. Mm-hmm. I always say his name wrong. Paul De Podesta. Um, if you're a football fan now, you know that a couple years ago, like 2016 or so, uh, the NFL poached him from Major League Baseball, and he joined the uh, the Cleveland Browns as yep. their uh, executive, the, the head of football operations, right. effectively, right? Um, I don't think it's officially his title, but he's kind of like the de facto president of, of operations. Right, right. And, um, you know, with the goal to kind of bring this whole sabermetrics thing to the Browns. Um, now, De Podesta had given his name to the movie, but when Sorkin rewrote the script, he changed enough of the characters and their depictions and portrayals that he did not want his name tied to the movie anymore mm-hmm. and, and refused to allow them to use it, so they had to change the character's name to Peter Brand. But it really is supposedly his story. Okay. Um, but again, how accurate if he's like, eh, I don't really want my name tied to this. Yeah. I mean, that's if, if as it, you know, plays out in the movie, like really all credit goes to him. Why would he not want that credit? I mean, Billy Bean is sort of 
nothing without this character that Jonah Hill portrays coming in and really introducing these ideas to him, right? By happenstance, right? In this but there's a lot of questions, right? There's questions yeah. about, like, they were already there. All right, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. Yeah. Um, all right, the last thing that's worth mentioning, you've already mentioned it. It is based on the book. The book is called Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game, written yep. by Michael Lewis. So that is the foundation of mm-hmm. what this movie is based on. Yep. Well, that and the, and the real-life events. <laughs> all right, moving on. The synopsis. <laughs> We've kind of alluded to most of it, but the Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean's successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a lean budget by employing computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the bit. That's um, it. We come into, you mentioned we see the failings of 2001 in mm-hmm. the postseason to the Yankees. This is using a team that has done traditional scouting and signing to bring in players. They've yep. got uh, some homegrown talent with, you mentioned Giambi, uh, and who's the other one, Damon? You have Johnny Damon and then um, pitcher um, Isringhausen, Jason Isringhausen. So these are big-name guys who at the end of the season had successful years, and they get poached by some of the richer teams, right? The Yankees yep. take Giambi. Uh, who takes is the Sox take uh, uh, Johnny Damon ends up signing with the Red Sox and he right. becomes a huge part of their World Series championship uh, in 2004. And I don't know where Jason Isringhausen ended up. And I don't think that's even described in the film. Yeah. But the idea being right that the A's have this lean budget, right? They've got a they've got an ownership that is not willing he, to spend a ton. He ended up with, um, after the 2001 series, he played out the rest of his career pretty much with um, St. Louis. Gotcha. So the point being that when these guys come up for contract years, the A's can't afford to keep them. They can't offer the same money that some of the richer teams can offer. The whole idea, right? I mean, this is a little foreign to me. I watch football. I'm a big football guy. And in football, every team must adhere to the salary cap, right? Yeah. Uh, You know, I know basketball has a salary cap. And in football, like this was the first year in a couple years the cap didn't go up. Um, And there's workarounds, right? Like you can, I don't think uh, signing bonuses are part of the salary cap, things like that. So if you are a bigger market team, in theory, you can still find ways to kind of work around. That's why with the NFL, especially you see, you hear a lot of like backloaded contracts, right? Yes. It's like 120 million over 10 years, but they're making like 2 million in the first two years. And then it's, you know, they're going to cut you before they really owe you the bulk of that money. Absolutely. And and baseball is the last of the four major sports to not put any sort of salary cap. The idea here in the movie being these guys come up for contracts, Oakland can't pay them, other richer teams take them, and Billy Bean is frustrated. And yep. he goes to ownership and he's like, if you really want, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how close we get. It doesn't matter how well we do in the regular season. It doesn't matter if we're not winning a championship. And in order to do that, I need more money. I need to be competitive. We do. We catch a glimpse that he loses one player uh, by, by the difference of half a million dollars. Right. 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 You know, yep. he was he was on board to pay this cat seven and a half. Right. The Yankees offer seven, seven, five. And yep. if he can come in at eight, then he'll stay and he can't do it. So he's not yes. even asking for tons of money. He just needs a little bit more that he can be competitive 
from the poaching. And we even see later on in the 2002 series uh, season that at the trade deadline, Billy Bean offers to kick in his own money in order to cover the salary of a player that they're trying to acquire. Right. With the idea that he will get money back when he sells them for more later. Right. Because he sees value in this person. Right. Yep. So this brings us in the film. And, and I guess here's my, here's my biggest take. And let's start off with, I mean, we've started, but let's touch on our thoughts of the movie. Tim, yep. I want to start with you. Set everything you know aside, at yep. least a little bit. Yep. I know it factored in the background. Sure. This movie as a movie, as a sports drama, as a as a biopic in a way. Yep. yep. What were your thoughts? I really really enjoyed it. And I think it's a oh. lot uh, it, it for a topic that is controversial. Again, trying to set aside everything that I know. It is it's still a really good movie and it gets you to root for this team, right? And you want them to pull through. And you know, even though you know the outcomes of some of this stuff as a baseball fan, it doesn't make it any less exciting. You know, they go on this win streak and you feel the tension when, you know, they blow an 11 nothing lead, which in and of itself sounds like fiction, right? You know, like, oh. Well, and especially when they tie it so strongly to the right. superstition of, you know, right. if he watches a game, he'll curse them. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, which is all legit stuff right people have superstitions like i don't you know if my team wins i sit in the same you know same seat during the playoffs or i won't wash the shirt i wore until they lose or something like that right that is a baseball thing baseball superstition um but for me ultimately i feel like this movie did everything right and again particularly in the baseball sense that a movie like for love of the game which we did last year does wrong in mm. terms of getting you to care about baseball. Like it's using the baseball to tell a story. And some of those facts, again, are stranger than fiction themselves. Again, right. 11, nothing lead, you know, they blow it. And then, you know, Hatterberg pitch hits a home run to win the game and to break, you know, this record for, for straight wins in a, in a, in a um, 20 straight wins in a, in a season. Um, like, you can't write some stuff better than that. So then some true baseball stories. Um, but it's also, again, it's an industry movie, right? I talked about this a little bit with, yes, um, yes. like with morning glory. I, I just, I have a thing for industry movies. You're like, Ooh, I'm getting a peek behind the curtain. And it's like, you know, it's not all necessarily glamor and glitz. And, you know, as a fan, you see your GM or your coach one way, but now you're getting the kind of like, you know, peel that back a little bit and be like, oh, this is what you're doing on a day-to-day. So that was super fascinating. Um, the whole deadline scene where they're like haggling, trying to make deals, calling up the other GMs on other teams. And they're like, hey, you know, first name basis. Like, I got this guy. Oh, you don't want that guy. Let me give you this guy. And then, oh, get the other guy on the phone, right? All that wheeling and dealing. It's a two-hour and, what, 15-minute movie, we said? 13 minutes? Yeah. And every part of it is enjoyable and it moves and it tells the story coherently and, and, and kind of quickly for being two hours and 13 minutes. I mean, even Carissa looked at me and she was like, yeah, this is really cool. This is really fascinating. All this statistical stuff and all the math in this. And she likes baseball. She's a Cubs fan. You know, she was right there when they, they won the world series in 2016. Um, 
but not somebody that I would ever expect to be like, Ooh, I like this, you know, baseball movie. Um, but as a movie, it just, it, it, it's a really good movie. Yeah, no, I completely agree. As a, as a non-baseball fan, I was riveted. This is yeah. one of my favorite movies. My wife, Alyssa, loves it too. We watch it together fairly often. And in fact, when we were rewatching it for this, you know, when I told her what I had to watch, she was just like, oh, yeah, wait for me. I want to see it again too, right? And, you know, it's one of these movies that I will often put, I would say I probably watch it somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six times a year. You yeah, know, yeah. it's it's an easy watch. It's yeah. enjoyable. It's interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of the characters are just really well written. And, and this is, again, not paying any mind or attention to the accuracy of the depiction of these characters. Yeah. But there, you know, everything makes sense. Everything yeah. has its moment and its time with with a few exceptions, my criticisms of this movie would be, I think the family dynamics that are portrayed or the attempt at some family drama just feels very out of place. There's a whole scene in this movie, right? We talked about this movie's two hours, 13 minutes. I don't think it needed to be. Yeah. Right. There's a whole scene where Billy Bean goes to pick up his daughter, uh, Casey, I think is her name. Yeah. And, uh, She's not there. She's out with friends. And so Robin Wright plays his ex-wife. And some rando plays her new husband, I guess. They have this McMansion of a house on the water, whatever. You know, did they get some of his money? Is the dude super rich? I don't know. He was wearing sandals, and it's all I could see. Inside in his house. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Cover your toes, man. Are the socks broken in your home, son? Um it was, uh, anyways, but the point is, he goes in there, and, and we just have this whole scene where there seems to be some sort of parent tension, right? Like, yeah. he finds out that they bought the little girl a cell phone for emergencies, and he just kind of, you know, does his, well, his you know, big parenting decision, huh? Right, you know, right. His mother and I will discuss this. And then there's just random scenes with the daughter. They're buying guitars. He's taking her to the airport. Does he have to fly? Does she have to fly to visit him in Oakland from where they live? And if so, how did he get to their house when he went to pick her up? Right. Right? Like, I'm just, again, since it's not really well explored, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Except to give some incentive and some explanation as to why Billy Bean may want to stay in the Oakland area. Yeah, I would also say that it, maybe also gives him it humanizes him a little bit because I think for a little bit early sure. in, in the movie, he, you know, his, his approach to players is sort of off putting for a little, you know, in the beginning where he's like, Oh, let's reduce them to numbers. I don't really care about them. You know, the whole thing where they talk about firing is like, just cut them loose. Like, you know, there should be no feelings in this. And, and then I, there's and a scene on the plane where David justice is talking to brand and he's just like, right. why doesn't your boss travel with the team? Is it to make us easier to cut? And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, exactly why. But I, to your point, though, I think ultimately he humanizes himself later in the movie when he ends up mixing it up with the team, right? And he's in the kind of coaching them. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I I don't know that we need that extra 15 minutes. Um, You know, that there's, 
it's it's whatever. There's enough to enjoy there. Now, here's the other thing, and to kind of bring in a little bit of the accuracy conversation, yeah. I wanted I want us to try to sprinkle it in as we discuss the movie itself, just sure. to kind of keep us from from going too far off the rails. But yeah. Billy Bean in real life, he did get divorced, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, but he remarried very quickly. And in the time when this is taking place in 2002, he was already remarried to his second wife, who is, I, I believe, still his wife today, uh, Tara Bean. And uh -huh. now originally, and apparently in the Blu-ray, there are deleted scenes where we see uh, someone was cast as Tara Bean and, and had roles in the movie. And, and I just can't help but wonder if it, it just would have been better served. There is enough conflict in this movie in the whole notion of taking this saber metrics and applying it to baseball. Mm -hmm. So in mm -hmm. terms of conflict, it's it's exactly what you think it is. Billy Bean has no money and he right. needs to buck the traditional trend. And right. instead of scouting and signing players that he knows in a couple of years he's going to lose to the bigger teams anyway, how can he form winning teams in budget using players that no one else wants. Right. And the idea is to use these metrics, right? So to replace one Giambi, he has to replace 38 runs. And right. how can he do that? Well, for less than the cost of one Giambi, he can get four guys who do the same, who have the same output, right? Right. Or right. uh, for this guy, instead of this one guy, he can bring in this guy who gives him... A, essentially, he's just replacing runs. Because he right. figures if he gets those same runs, he can get the same wins, and he mm -hmm. can be just as successful for a fraction of the cost. And this goes against everything that people of baseball know and love and respect about the game. So yes. this conflict, because if this does not work, right... If he's the first to do it and it fails, he'll lose his job, his livelihood. There's a scene with his daughter where she's like, if you get fired, will you have to move? Because it isn't working at first. Right. 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 There's enough conflict there that we can do the traditional approach. I don't need to see Robin Wright. I don't need right. to see this tool bag of a new husband. That is a nonsensical scene. And instead, just show me the supportive Tara Bean when he's yeah. struggling and she's like, don't worry, big guy like you can do we've been through worse before and if you get fired we'll just go somewhere new i'm right. with you ride or die right like right. you can have those those cliche moments and humanize him and show him getting the support and all that kind of stuff yeah as a family guy without having these elements that just don't play any factor whatsoever yeah i mean it's you know, specifically, again, when you get into, you know, a criticism of a lot of the major sports is that, you know, it's it's like the good old boys club, right? Mm. Like, if you've made a name for yourself in any way or you're someone's protege, just because it doesn't work out here doesn't mean your career's over for the most part. You're going to get a chance somewhere else. And right. maybe that somewhere else is someplace with more money, right? And, and as we sort of see at the end of this, right, the Red Sox come courting Billy Bean to do what exactly I, I i don't i don't know <laughs> to, to not win a world series <laughs> right i guess like you know uh, they they end up winning their own world series with a huge payroll so i'm not really sure what interest they had in his style of managing or gming but maybe it was just because he was a good gm otherwise and could do the job equally as well if he had an unlimited budget i don't know right. but 
Yeah, I, I I don't know. There are some really really great movie scenes in this though. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When you know the hunt for the players, right? These yeah. down and out. You know, everyone's ridden them off. That yeah. innately builds and endears you to them, and build you are instantly rooting for these guys, right? Yes. One of the yes. first ones is is Hatterberg, played by Chris yep. Pratt. He's a catcher. His life is over. No one's calling. The phone's not ringing. We see him. It's New Year's, it seems. Yep. And uh, he's at home just sort of feeling real down, sitting on the couch, watching the ball drop. We see he's got a little girl. He's got a wife who's who looks like she's crunching some numbers. Yeah. Right? She's doing some family budgeting. And, and everyone seems pretty stressed and tense. And then that phone rings and it's Billy Bean and he wants to give him a second life and give him a yeah. second chance as a first baseman. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so you're immediately rooting for this guy. And, and you want to see him make that transition. And then you're rooting against manager Art Howe when he's not playing Hatterberg at first. So right. it's messing up with the metrics game. It's messing up with Billy's scheme. It's messing with our boy Hattie. Right? Yeah. And, and all of that builds so nicely in this movie. And this, this is something that I feel is just so... It's not unique but it's so easy to fall in love with sports movies because the romanticism is there. Uh, When they sign Hattie is some of the best lines where Billy Bean comes with one of the scouts slash coaches. Yeah. Ron Washington, who is actually a very, he, a very well-respected manager in baseball. He goes on to manage the Texas Rangers. He's been a coach on many, many teams, well-respected for his baseball knowledge and especially infield work. So, so that's shocking to hear because he's also a pretty solid actor. He is in this scene. Well, that was, no, that wasn't him. Like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so an actor playing Ron Washington. Yes. yes, All right. See, I don't know these things, Tim. You need to be more clear. He was also arrested for cocaine at one point during his managerial career. The actor or the man? (laughs) The man himself. Can't it be both? (laughs) Could be. All right. So, uh, so the character slash real life guy slash, but actor, uh, the guy playing Ron Washington in the movie is there with Billy Bean. And they're yep. talking to Hattie and they're telling him he's got to transition to first base. And yeah. Hattieberg's like, I've never done first base before. And Billy Bean's like, relax. It's really not that hard. <laughs> the guy just goes, it is incredibly hard. He's like, but what in life that's worth doing isn't. There's these really great moments of dialogue where I like to think when Sorkin took over, one of his deals was that he wouldn't remove uh, any of the other writers because the script right. was great and there wasn't much he could change. Right. Um, you know, besides making it a little more fictionalized and, and maybe forcing in some of these family elements, mm-hmm. I, I like to think it's moments like these, these interactions, these quirky little comments back and forth uh, that he does add in and sprinkles enough of his Sorkinisms that it keeps it entertaining without being overbearing and garbage pale. Yeah, because I think this is, you know, one spot where I'll start to kind of interject a little bit of, you know, truthiness to this. Like, Hatterberg has said in his, you know, he disagrees with some of the portrayals, specifically of Art Howe and, yes. and you know, their relationship. Uh, but coming at this from a baseball fan, you know, 
this type of thing is not as unheard of as they really make it out to be, especially for a catcher to go to first base. It, you know, especially if you're doing it in the off season and you have a spring training. Yes, are there nuances that you know a seasoned first baseman is going to get over someone who's just going to switch to the position? Absolutely. But again, someone like Ron Washington, who is known for being you know being a good fundamentals coach and and, and a good infield coach, you know. I, a catcher pretty much calls the game of baseball and has a field. That's why catchers go on to be some of the greatest managers in the sport is because they're sort of managing the game as it is already, right? Mm. They have a feel for it. Um, so I, 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 you know, I, that I think is sensationalized a little bit, the difficulty there. Is it a quirk? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, players play different positions, and especially at this time, in your young career, you've played multiple positions. You've played other positions at some point. Nowadays, p- kids are a lot more specialized and maybe don't play. If you're a pitcher in high school, maybe you're pitching all the way through and never touching another position. And you might never haven't picked up a bat in 15 years by the time you get to the major leagues, right? Um, so th- this part, I-, I definitely think, is played up a little bit. Is it funny? Is it endearing? Yes, I, I thought this was a great scene. I think the, the the redemption there for him is great. He had been playing since 95 with, with Boston, and then he gets hurt, and he wasn't going to catch again because he can't throw, right? And this resurrects his career. He goes on to play until 2008 and has some of his you know most games played following this 2002 series, uh, season with, with Oakland and then goes on to play with Cincinnati for... 06, 07, 08. So mm. this is a redemption of his career because his career could have ended, you know, halfway, um, you know, sooner than it did. Yeah, and and this movie is filled with these little moments and 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 these great great one liners that are really well delivered, uh, yeah. especially by Brad Pitt. Um, yeah. You know, I buy him, man. I totally buy Brad Brad Pitt as a failed player turned GM who yeah. is who gets the game but he gets it from the player's perspective uh yeah. you know we see great lines with that his interacting his interaction with David Justice is one of my favorite favorite moments when yeah. Justice comes in and he's like I'm an all-star man I'm this I'm that and Billy Bean is basically like that's not why you're here right, right. you're here to get on base and to teach these young kids and coach them up, right? There's anyone who watches any sport is familiar where you sign these vets as a locker room presence. Yeah, and right? the Yankees gave him away, so why not? I mean, Justice is a career player; he's an all star at this point, and the Yankees are paying half his salary. So, and why that's not? the best part when he's just <laughs> right. like, he's like, "You're paying me seven and a half million to, you know, do this. Why don't you let me worry about this and you worry about you?" And he's like. I'm not paying you seven and a half million. The Yankees are paying that. half your salary. I loved that like, because I was they're like, they're paying no, you three not. and a quarter million dollars <laughs> to play, to play against us. them. Right. right. Like that's what they think of you. I thought it was hilarious. I loved it because that kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, the Yankees made a bunch of trades this year for guys that other teams are paid us to take them. Yeah. So and play the rest of the season for us to get them off their books, right? Um, to to free up whatever to get some assets back. But that whole scene was hilarious because I I did a double take. I was like, they're not paying anybody seven you know seven million for this season. That was what this whole thing was about. And th- so that line delivered. He's like, we're not no, we're getting it. paid by somebody else. It was great. I think he's just hilarious. like, you want to stay in the show, and I want to milk the last drop of baseball you got. <laughs> 
So right. let's just let's just do this, right? And it's yep. it's such a great moment and Brad Pitt just brings it home. The last thing there are so here's what I really enjoyed. Yeah. I would nix all the family stuff. I really yeah. really really liked the flashback scenes of how the traditional system failed him. Yeah. As a scouted player in the traditional way, you know, he was he was marked as a as a first round guy and this is the way that he tests uh brand right peter brand yeah he says yeah. would you have taken me in the first round and peter brand's like i would have taken you in the eighth round no signing bonus and blah blah blah, blah. and i imagine you would have gone to college and turned it down and he sees the honesty and that his analytics has truth because yeah. where everyone else saw like a five tool guy right his peter brand system sees not really much value and yeah and it would have projected what he now hindsight is what it is too right peter brand's not sure. looking at the numbers and making a foreshadowing conclusion right. he also has history on his side to say that yeah. i know you're a washout but i really love those flashback moments and how they feed into the current into like the present day narrative as to how he's handling things and but also sets up the biases he may carry into this and how he might feel because he was done dirty in, yeah. in his eyes, you know? Yeah. I'll also add too that from a knowledge perspective, knowing all of what is knowing or having cursory knowledge of what is happening in the current day events of the film, it was great to throw that history in there. I, you know, I'm very, I, I'm familiar with Billy Bean. I know the name. I know Moneyball. I understand all that. But I didn't know he was a player. I didn't know he was drafted by the Bills. Mm. I didn't know that he was projected to be a superstar. You know, baseball is one of those sports where first overall picks, you know, or high draft picks doesn't really mean squat in the grand scheme of things. You and I talked earlier today, hockey, baseball, football, if you're drafted in the first round or, or first overall, you're playing in the league next year. Mm -hmm. Baseball, you might never play. Like, you are so far down the down the, the 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 ladder that you might burn out break down quit before you ever get to the mound and you know to see that to add that kind of context was awesome i was like oh i didn't realize that i didn't realize that he has some other personal things here right like you said he was done dirty you know to a degree he was all this money was thrown at him didn't go to college and he played four or five years and was terrible. Yeah, yeah. And and I really love those moments in terms of the writing. I thought they were well executed uh, and, and where they were placed throughout the narrative to kind of yeah. add a little bit more to, the, to those moments. One more criticism, though, is, you know, we're watching a movie. I mean, this almost could be a Disney movie, right? We're following yeah. a team that doesn't win anything. You know, yeah. it's cool runnings. It's 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 all that kind of jazz where, you know, all of these efforts and all this sabermetrics, it only gets them as far as they got the year before it. Yes. Um, and uh, w without it, right? And right. Uh, but it did keep them competitive after losing all those guys. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, it it really as a way. In, in an effort for the movie to justify this approach and to mm -hmm. say Billy Bean actually won 
and be, mm-hmm. and Billy Bean was right. And everything yep. you just spent the last two hours and 13 minutes watching wasn't for nothing, right? right. We see a couple of win conditions. The first is that the, the A's this year break the MLB record for most consecutive wins in a season. They get right. 20 consecutive wins, more yep. than any other team in the American League uh, mm-hmm. in history, right? Yep. Yep, I believe so. And then in the end, uh, we see that Billy Bean gets courted by a big club, by the yeah. by the Boston Red Sox, and they offer him $12.5 million to make him the highest paid general manager at the time in sporting history, not just baseball. Right. right. Uh, he turns it down to stay with the A's, presumably to stay close to his daughter. Right, mm-hmm. we see a nice little moment between him and his daughter, where she's worried if he gets fired, he's gonna have to move. So again, this is why I'm saying, like, is this the only reason that we force-fed us some of these moments was so that we would feel, you know, that it made sense that he would turn it down? Um, you know, uh, Peter Brand, I guess, also stays, but the real Paul uh, De Podesta, he eventually leaves. Billy Bean mm-hmm. is still with the A's. He's, yep. uh, you know, he's the executive vice president or whatever yep. of yep. of operations, and he's also a minority owner. He yep. owns a couple of soccer clubs, uh, yep. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's still an executive, and he's still with the A's, uh, just not the GM anymore. But before we kind of wrap with some of the final notes on on what was maybe not so accurate, one of the failings maybe of this movie is, I guess in a way when it ends, you still kind of feel like he won. You yeah. feel like he was validated. You feel like the approach was validated. But I feel like the movie could have done a better job of of building up the streak, of really mm. tracking that and really making that a major highlight and a milestone. It's not that it doesn't, but it it feels like just one part of the journey that then suddenly comes to a very abrupt end. Yeah, and and to that point too, right? They're preaching very specific things, right? You know, oh, you, well, you're paying me to steal bases. No, we're not. We're paying you to get on base, right? right. We're, we're we're paying you to walk. We're paying you to do this. Right. We're like, paying you to get on first, not get thrown out at second. Right. Yeah. You know, all of these things. And then this is all happens in a montage. We don't necessarily. And there's such good moments. I want yeah. more of it. We don't necessarily see those things, those or the players buying into those moments, right? We get some of that tension, like oh, yeah, like we don't see a guy who had been stealing a bunch of bases now staying put at first and and running and running one in and being like, oh snap, he's right. They attempt to do that in these conversations that you know that he's having with the players, right? So you see them in the weight room and they're having philosophical discussions and they're like, Oh, I get it. But like, right. I want to see that play out. Right. Let's, let's, let's see that on the field a little bit, but instead, you know, we're treated to the standings changing and, you know, a couple of big plays here and there or the A's are really hitting. Okay. But where, like, let's see that start to click. Cause otherwise, it could just be a team getting hot. Every team can go on a win streak. I don't care how bad you are. <laughs> Baseball, again, is a unique sport in that your team is only as good as your 
starting pitcher takes you that day. Right? So this is a really interesting transition into one of our last points of the evening, yeah. which is how accurate. So mm. I wonder if, and I'll pose this as a question, we don't get a lot of that. We don't get a yeah. lot of the details about who's doing what and what's going on. Right. And there is because, and perhaps it is because, there's the major criticism of this movie and of the book. You talked a little bit about the portrayal of Art Howe and some of this other yep. stuff. But it's the real question of how how accurate is it to say that the sabermetrics and the signing of some of these guys really had that big of an impact on this team to keep them successful because the truth of it is is that they had three all-star pitchers yes. who were homegrown and like traditionally scouted and yep. they also had two positional players uh i think a shortstop you'd probably yep. know yeah miguel tejada and yep. eric, chavez, eric chavez yep who again traditionally scouted guys who arguably carried a lot of the load and perhaps the film couldn't show like oh david justice oh you know scott hatterberger oh whatever because we totally ignored the fact that there are still some all-stars cy young winners golden glove winners yes. on this team yeah and it's funny when i started doing the research th uh, that was one of the things in the back of my head i was like man at this point in time oakland had tim hudson mark Mulder, and barry zito who were like the big three mm. they were the three best pitchers and uh, barry zito went on to win the Cy Young in 2002, they in a, in a best of five going against those three guys was a nightmare because they were really, really good. For those who don't know, the Cy Young is the best pitcher in baseball yes. award. Correct. It usually judged on wins and losses. Um, it's sort of starting to change as we've entered kind of a quasi weird time in baseball stats where people are actually looking more at the whole pitcher and, and looking at, you know, your earned run average, which is how many runs you give up per nine innings pitched. Um, but that said, all these guys that you, you mentioned and, and the, these pitchers, they were all, you know, on, on their first contracts. They were all, you know, getting, you know, maybe minimum at some point. You know, they were not due for their payday. When they were due for their payday, they left Oakland, they left, right? They were right. priced out. So you, this is a perfect storm in 2002 of you're padding the roster with some of these guys like Giambi and Hatterberg. Giambi had been on the team. He'd been on the team in 2001 um, when his brother was on the team. He sucked. He was right. not a good player. He played a couple more years after the, the trade to Philly, but I, I, maybe one or two. He was never as good as his brother. Um, and this whole thing that he would, you know, he was a guy that they wanted. Uh, why? You know, right. I, I, because those numbers sort of told you that. Sure. You know, they also I, make it, that seems to, there's a scene where it's implied Billy Bean cuts or trades Pena and Giambi, pretty yeah. much anybody that Art Howe could use to not start Hatterberg, right? Like yeah, right. he just cleans house to make a statement yep. to Art Howe, the manager of the team, play my guys the way I want you to play them yeah. or else I'll just keep trading everybody and leave yeah. you with nothing except my guys. And right. uh, 
the the real world scenario is that th they weren't traded at the same time that yep. it really wasn't this way and this speaks to Hatterberg as you mentioned had came, come out and said that he totally was against the depiction of Art Howe that he never felt Howe wasn't in his corner you know that kind of stuff and and Art Howe himself has come out and been like that's nonsense and that right. he's really hurt that you know he spent seven years five years however long with this team only to find out that this is how you know his how Billy Bean sees him. And again, this is the, you know, sort of the old, the, the good old boys club, right? A lot of these managers get recycled. So why would you ever be that opposed to new ideas? Right. Right. Like you have to, one the manager of the Chicago White Sox right now came out of retirement. Um, Tony Larusa, he is ancient, <laughs> And people are like, oh, he, there's no way that he's going to you know, adapt to this modern analytical baseball. His team has been playing unreal this year, and his players love him. So, again, what what good does it do you in that position as a, as a manager to, to not embrace this, this technique? You're not going to get the players anyway. You not embracing this is not going to suddenly you know, materialize another you know, $100 million for you to sign these players, right? So... Yeah, that, that that would be disappointing to to you know to see that portrayal of yourself and, and feel like you know maybe you were stabbed in the back a little bit, um, but ultimately you know like you said it, it does come down to this is an interesting concept. Everybody likes an underdog underdog story, mm. and this idea of sabermetrics has taken over. Baseball's full of analytics now. It's really interesting to see where this got its start and this specific type of money ball, right? Taking that sabermetrics and using that to analyze these undervalued players. Um, it's also controversial. You know, a lot of teams use it now when they want to stay competitive, but slash payroll, you know, like, oh, you know, let's, 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 let's tell our fans we're going to stay competitive, but we're going to, we're going to slash our payroll because our owner doesn't want to pay that much anymore. Uh, no team employing this has won a World Series yet. People using sabermetrics have. The Red Sox did in 2004. They hired the what was his name John Lewis, the guy who developed you know all these stuff that that Peter Brand and Art and um, Billy Bean use to kind of make this Moneyball thing. And they win in 2004, but their payroll is ridiculous. <laughs> so you know, what do we ultimately learn from this movie, from this book? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a really fun ride, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it is, uh, and I think that was kind of my final point, too, is the movie does play it up as if, like, this approach is a winning approach, yeah. where the yeah. reality is they don't win anything more than they won the year before. Yeah. As you call out, it implies that the Red Sox employ this uh, right. system, but they also pay billions of dollars to their team so they're right. they're kind of dipping into both ends yep. um and billy bean goes on to the longest losing streak of any team after the 2002 season the oakland a's don't have a season above 500 for like 11 years or something and ridiculous they're, they're on the verge of being displaced out of oakland currently they're having a good season they're in the wild card hunt right now but the raiders left they still play in the Coliseum, but right. the last, I believe it's the last multi-purpose stadium in existence. Uh, you know, that multi-purpose as in multiple use for football right. or baseball. Um, and they might be headed somewhere else, you know, soon too. Um, because 
they're just not making it work. It is, again, th- this all sounds negative, right? Because the concept of Moneyball has, has kind of been met negatively. It's not something that's super embraced. Tampa Bay Rays right now are probably the best team to currently employ that, a very small market team playing in a dump. Um, they made the World Series last year. They're poised to make a good run to the World Series this year. They keep doing this you know, thing where they trade off their big players and replace them with little players. It's a super fascinating thing. It's a great story to be like, how can we do this? How can we compete? But do you really compete? <laughs> but I think not even looking at it from a baseball perspective or a sports perspective, but looking at it from a film perspective, right? So that's yeah. the end game here is yep. how is this successful as a closing to this journey we just went on, right? I'm supposed to see the resolution. I'm supposed to see the victory moment. I'm supposed to see something. And where a film like, for example, Cool Runnings shows you like the real win is the courage to do it. And in the face of racism and adversity and all these things, right? Here, the movie historically, for historical accuracy, doesn't really have a leg to stand on. Mm. And it can't necessarily prove or justify or validate that what we just watched is successful. Right. And so it feels like they have to kind of wrap it up quick at the end. And in the end, you have to ask yourself, like, well, the film sort of fictionalizes things and really twists things to make it seem successful where the reality Hmm. is not necessarily so like in the end him getting the big offer is evidence that he was the reason why they were so successful when they weren't any more successful than they were the year before. And and he, if he doesn't find this, this character, uh, you know, uh, John De Podesta or whatever, a Peter brand in the movie. Yeah. yeah, if, if, If he doesn't find this character, this, this person, he doesn't get this idea. Right? right. Well, and then the other implication or the other assumption is, you know, that the Red Sox employ this and then win the World Series two years right. later where the Oakland A's are having the worst seasons of their lives right. with right. the actual guy who supposedly, you know, right. the the one who championed it and did it successfully. Right. Well, Boston does it without him by right. paying people. So it's like, yeah. so in the end, as a film, I just watched all this uh, did I really see a victory? But as an uninitiated film goer, the movie does a good job at putting forth an ending that leaves you feeling somewhat validated, although it doesn't really hold up to the historical scrutiny, yeah, which is what a lot of people have. Yeah. That That's why that audience score is less than the critic score, because people have really, you know, really... Uh, lambasted this movie to say you know it's it's totally and wholly inaccurate there is a lot of there's hope for the future at the end right the the, we we found a way right um you know baseball finds a way um and that's why we don't get a little written tag about what the oakland a's have done since then yeah right it's like boston was successful so while we have been mired in garbage (laughs) just because we keep mentioning it the 2000 and two season that this is portrayed the red sox had uh, a team payroll of 108 million dollars and uh oakland was at 40 (laughs) 
$40 million. Yeah, that's So let's let's jump forward to 2004, which is the year that we're talking that the Red Sox, you know, employed it. Just because I'm having fun doing this. Let's see what that says. Okay, we'll entertain you too. 2004, the Red Sox are $127 million. And Oakland at this point is... Where did they go? They vanished off the face of the earth. They actually rose quite significantly. (laughs) They're at $59 million Mm. two years later. so And worse off. But right, uh, but the Red Sox won with... $120 $120 million. They, um, went, uh, they still went 91 and 71 um, in 2004. 91 but, seasons, not bad. Yeah. Yep. So I will say, in the end, right, all the facts, all the stats, all the baseball talk aside, as a movie, I love it. I yeah. think, you know, barring a few things that I wish it didn't have, mainly that family dynamic stuff, yep. um, and I would have liked either a little more of the background stuff with him or, you know, just a more traditional view of the supportive second wife as yeah. he's going through these hard times. Um, I, I just think it didn't serve a purpose. So that aside, overall, the good outweighs the bad for sure. You mentioned it being an in, like an industry film. It totally is, and it's awesome. Yep. I'm not a baseball guy, but I love movies that have that wheeling and dealing, sports movies that kind of show that behind-the-scenes You know, I love the way they depict it, how they're all kind of buddies. They all kind of know each other, right? In the first time where he meets Peter Brand and he's negotiating some trades, uh, he's, you know, this is a a guy who seems to be a new GM for for Cleveland. Yep. And he's just like, man, yeah, that chair fits you well. And like, you know, you know, whatever. They're just kind of having some banter. And then, you know, but the moments, and I think Brad Pitt as the GM, as Billy Bean, just knocks it out of the park. He, you totally buy him. He's relatable, but yet you totally see him as this really smart executive who yeah. knows how to play the game because he once played the game. Right. Um, Jonah Hill in this movie is a revelation, right? Prior yeah. to this, it's big time comedy work. And this is one of his first, <laughs> excuse the pun, at bats at a truly dramatic <laughs> role. Yeah. And he totally nails it. Like yeah. I I I'm fully in and invested as him as this analytical guy who who can change the face of this game. Um you know, there's a lot of heart. You're you're there's a lot of stuff to root for. There's a lot of good it, it hits every note you want a sports movie to hit and it hits a lot of the notes that you want this back, you know, behind the scenes industry film to hit. And mm-hmm. and the acting is stellar. The writing is excellent. Uh, and before you know it, it's over. And 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 I loved it. And I watch it over and over again. And I love it every time I do. Uh, I give Moneyball an eight and a half out of ten. I think it's a really good and successful film. Whether or not it's accurate, we have kind of shown that it probably isn't. But uh, but who cares? It's a really fun movie. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't think any of that detracts in a way that, again, a movie like For Love of the Game, which is whole cloth, you know, fiction, like, oh, yeah, this guy throws a perfect game in his last game ever, blah, you know, Mm, whatever, like, fine, you know, there is a lot to this, and it's 
is doesn't in any way you know, even again, looking at stats while I'm watching this movie, detract at all from anything that is happening on screen. It is a fascinating peek behind that curtain. Again, I said this before, it is just, I'm a sucker for that. I like seeing that stuff. You know, you get this public image of how a GM works or how a team works. And so you get behind there, like the Oakland offices aren't glamorous, right? Like they, they could be at the local parks and rec for all we know, right? Like the Coliseum is not that cool. Like it's not, it's old. Like there there's even a offices. line when he comes back from Boston, he sits down, he goes, "Ugh, what a dump. Yeah. Right. It, it, you know, it's, it's all that kind of little stuff that goes into it. It's not as high glamour as, you know, as, as you think, but yeah, none of this detracts. Again, I feel like I was sounding really negative about the, the fact versus fiction, but it, it's not. It, it, again, it's it's more about what you know this analytical revolution has done to to some sports and taken the heart and, and things out of it. Um, but it's just so fun. It's so fun to watch, and it's so interesting. And it doesn't. It's not hurt by anything. And people who aren't you know, don't care. It can enjoy it just as much. And I think that is what the Testament is, right? That's what it all boils down to for me is a huge baseball fan can appreciate it for what it is. And someone who is just wants to watch a good movie can appreciate it for what it is. And that's where you find that middle ground and it works very well. It does a really wonderful job balancing that tells a great story. Yes. There's artistic license to it, but not, so much that it does it a disservice. And the truth is life is pretty boring guys. And so yeah. when you're going to try to make a story that's interesting to watch, especially yes. by a bunch of people who maybe don't know the nitty gritty. Sure. You got to take some license. And yeah. I think this movie really does pick and choose its moments and it does it well. It would be really interesting if they ever, um, if, if the writer of the book ever did follow up with this sequel that he had planned called Underdogs, where he wanted to kind of follow up on some of this stuff. I think that would be really interesting, especially, as I said, in light of what this kind of analytics, Moneyball, Sabermetrics revolution, whether it has truly worked, but analytics is in baseball, right? So where, what is the, what is the fallout beyond whatever happens with the Oakland A's, what is the fallout from introducing analytical approaches into baseball? Yeah. So. No, dig it. All right, guys, that brings us home Yeah. on yet another amazing episode of the greatest podcast that ever was and ever will be. Yeah. Next week is our live show. So yeah. uh, one week from tonight at 8 PM, you will find us on IG live. Please join us there. We love having the conversations. That's where we just talk about whatever it is we've been watching this week. And, but it's your opportunity to ask us questions and, and interact and post comments while we're talking that we can address in the moment. Yep. The goal yep. for those live shows is to interact with you guys in real time and put your questions out there and uh, and just have a good time. So join us next Thursday night at 8 p.m. on IG Live. And obviously, as always, we will be posting the broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, that kind of stuff. But it'll be too late. You won't be able to interact with us live. Yeah, give us, give us something. Give us, uh, I'm, I'm at a loss a little bit right now. Uh, oh, of what to watch? You looking for some recommendations? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Send us some recommendations before the live shows or anytime. And you can hit us up uh, on Instagram at Pause Reviews, uh, through the website, pausereviews.com, and on email, pausereviews at gmail.com. Uh, yep. We're there. We're here. We're waiting. 
Yep. For you. Yep. All right, guys. As always, I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. And we will see you next week on a live show. Peace. You're out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>